the reality is, as disciples, okay, we're called to perfection. Well, we come here to encourage, and we come here to worship, and we come here for fellowship, and, and we come here to praise Jesus, and, and, and these things are good. But Matthew 5, 48 says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't know about you, but uh, personally, I'm far from perfect. And uh, any time that I would even begin to, to, to think that I might be you know, approaching what it might be close to to be perfect. My wife reminds me of, of who I am. And so I, she's, a, she's a great blessing to me in that. You know, in church we talk uh, about sin. In church, I think sometimes often we talk about other people's sin. We talk about the ways in which we should live. We talk about the ways in which other people should live. But we really don't talk about our sin. I, maybe, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I, I know that I don't ever really share my sin in church on a regular basis because, well, that's, that's mine, isn't it? I want to keep that close. I don't want to share that with anyone. I don't want anyone to see into my heart and see how dark and gross it is. But we have this verse here. We have Jesus who's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you're supposed to be perfect. That that sin in your heart is unacceptable. And the thing is, the church is a place where we're supposed to deal with that. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous is for alcoholics, like church is for hypocrites. So today I wanted to look at this passage in Hebrews. And uh, just on the announcement, it had just, just one little part. But we'll actually look at the first 11 verses of chapter 12. But before we do that, I wanted to share with you a video. Uh, it just kind of like, I think it kind of frames this conversation really well. And uh, I appreciate the, the ministry that put it together. And so uh, if we could actually cue that. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus name I pray, amen. Hi. Whoa, who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay, if you're God, who's gonna win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that, don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up, here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm gonna make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Wait, wait, what are these about? These are the tools I'm gonna use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. 
I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward, but I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. <laughs> You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know. I'll stay right here and then, you That's know. That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty 
wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, allow me to produce character when you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not oh, my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I, 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 I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah, but you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um, I let you down so many times, God. No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. And chisel away. Just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror. And I hate who I see. Because deep inside there, this, this, this little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult. And I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not from me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That How can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes? I just meant, God, I'll do that right now. You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. Oh my gosh. You know what that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a note. I, I wrote it when I was in college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh yeah. Go ahead and read it. I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you right today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say you want to use me. And I feel so useless. If you'll take me, 
then use me. God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God. I love you too. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a, as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy is God's... No, not the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you, but maybe for the first time in your life, the way I see you, the way I created you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. So the scripture that we're going to look at is uh, one I'm probably sure you're familiar with. And I hope, I hope that spoke to your heart. Because uh, it, it spoke to my heart when I watched it in preparation for this. And, and it, was, it was hitting home uh, just as I was sitting there watching it again. But I want to look at this passage of Hebrews 12, 1 to 11. Because it, it gives us some ideas about how we can actually be perfected by Christ. And, and what kind of process that we can go through to do that. The passage actually starts off referencing the chapter before it. Chapter 11 in Hebrews is the one where there's the big long list of all the faithful people. And it starts off in Genesis talking about uh, uh, Abel, I think. I'm going to get in trouble later for that. But Abel, I think, and it goes on through Moses and Abraham and Isaac and, and all the way up to David. And, 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 and the author of Hebrews says, look, if I spend all my time just writing about the many faithful people, I, I just, I wouldn't have enough space for that. And that was at the time of the New Testament being written. Since then, the, the testimony of those who follow Jesus, it's... It's alive and well in, in the history and the tradition of the church. You don't have to look very long to see amazing stories of what God has done in and through the lives of his people. And you don't really need to look very far because you can look at the people beside you and God has done amazing things in their life as well. Whatever you may think about yourself in a moment, whatever you may think about yourself because of what you have done or have not done, you're here because God has done something in your heart. And, and when you share that with other people, the power of what he did in you has a significant impact on that person as well. And they can do the same for you. And so this chapter begins, uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, therefore we are not alone. Therefore we have people who have walked the walk that we walk. And maybe not in every detail, but they, they know what it is to struggle. They know what it is to fail, and, and, and we're not alone. 
And that's just the people. We're not alone because God is always with us. And we have a Savior who has gone through every temptation and has come out unblotted, has come out successful and victorious. And he extends that to us. You want to go to the next slide? I want to kind of start out actually in in the middle of this passage. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance a race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I'll go to the next slide, yeah. I want to start with this part. Let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. This is a great metaphor for understanding what life is about. In the video, they referred to the fact that this is not a sprint, it's a marathon. Following Jesus is not some sort of instantaneous uh, 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 solution, in a sense. It's not like when you start following Jesus, when you invite him to live in your heart, that your life is about to magically get better. But that there is this destination, this, this, this goal that we are striving towards. And it wasn't until Jesus came into our life that we actually began running that race. Up until then, we weren't even on the field. And so the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance. I don't know about you, but uh, my running days are kind of over. I used to be a, uh, like a mid-range track runner. So my races was a 400 and the 800 meter race. Okay? And uh, one of the things about the, uh, the 800 meter race is it's, it's almost, the 400 meter is almost a sprint the whole way around. And the 800 meter, you want to pace yourself a little bit so that at that last 60 uh, to 100 yards, you, you just sprint full out and you just pour whatever's left in there. Okay, but following Jesus is not like that where we need to pace ourselves so that we're saving ourselves up for this last stretch because we don't know when that last stretch is. And so we have to take every moment uh, and, and, and put everything we have into it. And what's more than that, we need to receive everything that Jesus has for us in that moment. Because if we are running by ourselves, we're going to get tired. I, I love this. Uh, those sacks are filled with potatoes for those guys. I, I fully believe that I could beat anyone here in a foot race. Okay, My only stipulation is especially for you young guys when you're just like, oh, really? You just have to put on enough weight so you're also running with 240 pounds, okay? And then we'll see how fast you go. And then you'll be like, oh, actually, he's pretty fast. See, we don't carry weights in the same way in this marathon of life as we follow Jesus. These weights are sin, The burdens that we carry, they're not necessarily ours to carry because it's what Jesus has given us freedom from. So if we are going to run this race with endurance, you need to remove things from you. It's not like, oh, I'm going to run a race and I go and pick up a big sack of potatoes because that will make me more successful. It won't. And yet, and yet we come to church and we don't talk about our sins. And yet we, we, we don't deal with the things that are in our life. We don't surrender to God. For whatever reason, because we've believed in lies, because we're afraid. Maybe because we feel so ashamed and guilty. Whatever the reason is, it's not the truth. Because Jesus said, 
I've come to set you free. So the, the author of Hebrews, he says to us, next slide, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. To lay it aside. Now, now how, how does that work? What does that look like? Well, if you're going to lay something aside, you have to identify. You can't lift off something that you can't see or hold. And so you need to know what it is that is burdening you. And maybe you're not sure what that is in your life. Maybe you feel burdened and you don't know why. I know that God wants to show you in your life what it is that's burdening you. You just need to ask him to listen. In whatever space it is that you hear God get into that space and and. and Ask him. He's faithful. I know he will share with you. And as you lay it, you lay it, and this is kind of like a churchy phrase, and I, I got to admit, I really have a hard time with Christianese. You guys know Christianese? Okay? And it, it drives me crazy, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm not, I won't make any jokes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, you got to lay those burdens at the foot of the cross. And it gets to be Christianese because we say it so often, but you know what? That's the truth. we got to be able to take what is bearing us down and give it to Jesus because he has removed it. He has paid for it. And he did it on the cross. Now, there's two parts to this process. It says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us closely. But the next part is looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is John 3.16. And actually that whole like, middle part before like, John goes on and talks about other stuff. But uh, you, you all know John 3.16, right? Yeah? Someone want like, extra stickers and you want to fire that out? For God so loved the world that he gave his only one, his, oh my goodness, his one and only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. <laughs> my boss is sitting right there, so he's probably like, huh, he doesn't know that verse. <laughs> but does anyone know what John three fourteen and 15 says? Because that's like the significant part of that passage. That's setting the framework and the context for what that passage is actually trying to tell us. It says, so to, as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, the author of the Gospel of John is referring to the situation that happened in the Exodus. Now, we know in the Exodus, the Israelites, they were kind of obnoxious children. And God saved them several times, and he was leading them along, and they're all like, are we there yet? You know, wasn't it better in Egypt? And they just, they get to this place where God needs to discipline them. And so in this particular moment, God is disciplining them. And the way in which he's disciplining them is he sent a plague of snakes. And these snakes are biting people. And whoever gets bit dies. And then as the Israelites were wont to do, after God disciplines them, they're like, oh, we're sorry. We remember. Oh, yeah, you're God. Jesus, or God, please take away these serpents. And, and, and you know, Moses, I love Moses' line with God. Now, God... <laughs> What will everyone say if you just save them from Egypt to kill them in the wilderness? So God tells Moses, look, I want you to make a serpent and lift it up. And if anyone is bitten, all they have to do is look to that serpent and they will be saved. 
And that's the illustration that's being used in the Gospel of John. But the snake is no longer a bronze snake. It's Jesus. And that whoever is bitten by the, the deadly virus of sin need only look to Jesus and they will be saved. Now, if I had been God, and thankfully I'm not, but I would have just removed the snakes. That seems like so much simpler of a solution. And yet God doesn't remove the problem. He gives us a way through it. And so this process of laying aside our sins is a two-part process. It is in one way to lay the sins at the cross, but it is also to turn and look to Jesus. That we can't do one without the other. You can't just look at Jesus and ignore the sins that you are burdened with, and you can't just focus on your sins and not move to Christ. Both of those positions won't lead you anywhere. You need to do both. Because once you've done that, once you've unburdened yourself, now you're ready to run. Now you're ready to go. And as you've gone through that process of of laying those things aside and handing them over to Jesus, not only can you run, but now you're a coach. And you can show other people how to run. And and maybe maybe you're you're on a a difficult track and you don't know this path very well. You don't know how how to do this situation. Well, there are other runners. And they can show you also how to run. Next slide. The author of Hebrew goes on, he says, For who the joy was set aside before him endured the cross? For who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Jesus went first, he is the first fruits. Okay, and he, he's not just waiting for us, he's, he's walking with us. And he's asking us, do you want some help now? Do you want some help now? But the thing is, the more that we ignore that little question, the more that we just kind of like grasp and, 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 and almost brace under the burden of whatever it might be, it becomes harder to hear that little voice that asks, do you want some help now? Oftentimes it's not until you crash under the weight of whatever sin that is that Jesus picks you up and says, why don't you let me help now? See, Jesus went first because he had this joy that was set before him. And the crazy thing is the joy that was set before him was that he wanted to be with you and me. And that there was this opportunity that by his obedience to the will of his father, he was going to be able to enjoy eternal life with you and me. And the amazing thing is the thing, the joy that was set before Jesus is now also set before us. And so the thing that gave Jesus courage, the thing that gave Jesus excitement and passion about what he was doing is also before us. Because the thing that is set before us is this opportunity to spend our eternity with Jesus. And the amazing thing is that eternity doesn't start in eternity, it can start now. Now, don't get me wrong, there's a resurrection, and that's going to be awesome. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be awesome. But the best reason to give your life to Jesus is is about today and the impact he will have today. Not about what's going to happen, whether there'll be Philadelphia cheese or not. That's 
That's, that's just gravy. That's just the extra stuff. Jesus is amazing in my life now. You know, something that we don't appreciate about the cross is how disgusting of an implement it was. We really just don't get that. Like, when we look at the cross, you know, like, it's, it's different for us now. It, it, our, our vision of it is, is completely changed. Our understanding of it is, is, is completely different because, well, Jesus went through the cross. He changed it. It's a different thing now. It's a symbol of hope. It's a symbol of victory. Before, it was a symbol of derision, scorn. You, you crucified animals, and animals you didn't like. It was a disgusting thing to be crucified. And Jesus, it says here, despised the shame. He looked to the glory, looked to the joy, and he despised the shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look, I love Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know how many times I've felt like when I'm speaking to God, how can you love me? Don't you know how many times I've sinned? He's like, yeah, I knew it when I let them nail me. I knew it when I let them nail me. There is nothing that we can do that is going to surprise God. There is nothing that we can do that is going to bring us closer to him. The scope and ability of what Jesus has done for us is an amazing thing. And as we focus on him, as we focus on the cross, I believe that God shows us its depth and its beauty. And it's oftentimes in contrast to our own sins but we are this masterpiece that he's working on, that he loves and that he wants to to build up. And so he says, don't grow weary. Don't don't become faint-hearted. Don't focus so much on how difficult the marathon is. Keep your eye on that prize. Remember what has been done for you and who is waiting for you and who is with you. And he says this, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now, normally when I read that verse, I often think about this kind of very, um, you know, like resisting temptation to the point of, of shedding blood almost sounds like martyrdom to me. That, that I would not de- deny the lordship of Jesus in my life and that someone would take my life because of that stance. But I had an interesting thought I was reading this passage. When you consider the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus shed blood. Well, he sweat blood as he resisted the temptation to not go to the cross. But I think that that moment in Gethsemane was a significant one because it wasn't just just about the temptation to not go. It was all the things compiled. But I believe the reality is, and when we look, there's a temptation of Jesus. But Jesus, on a regular basis, was resisting temptation. And it's not necessarily just this martyrdom-type resistance where it's your life or... But it's these incremental little moments in our life that when we give into them, 
It creates a space where we will give into them more. Have you resisted to the point where you're so stressed, where you're so uh, uh, wrapped up in, in, in it that, that, that you sweat? Do you sweat blood? And now maybe this is just a connection that I'm putting to it, and, 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 and I can appreciate that, but I, I found it significant that Jesus would resist sin to the point. Every moment of his life, he would obey the Father. I don't do anything except I see what my Father is doing. Have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? Next slide. In that, in that video, talks about how a, a father who loves their son disciplines their son. This was an awesome uh, conversation I got to have with my son, and I, I don't know how, how well it like sunk in there, but, but showing him that, look, I'm not disciplining you because I hate you or because I'm against you. I'm disciplining because I want the best for you. And much to his chagrin, I'm very okay with his suffering. At least his suffering that leads him to a better character. His suffering that leads him to a fuller life. I don't want him to suffer uh, wantonly. I don't want him to suffer unnecessarily. But if you never suffer and never learn and get destroyed because of it, then maybe a little suffering was worth it. I remember... I was in school, uh, I was finishing my degree, and I was in a sociology of families class. And, and I was in a very different place, you know, like we had, we had, Troy was just born, uh, and so we have three kids. At that time, I think it was like three under three. Um, again, my wife is a champ, she's awesome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we're in this class, and, and the, the, the discussion of, of spanking came up. And that was kind of an interesting thing. And, and there was all these very like altruistic, idealistic college students in a Bible college, and well, I'll never spank my kid. And I was just like, you have no idea. <laughs> and so I just poised this question to them. What happens if you have a toddler who runs off in the parking lot? How do you, how do you speak to that child so that they will understand that trucks and vehicles don't see them and they need to listen to your voice? And they said, well, I just won't let him out of my sight. She's like, oh, you don't know many toddlers, do you? I would rather spank my son and have him be afraid to go away from my voice and stay safe than to not and have him be destroyed. I had a professor uh, who actually followed that up with a, uh, something he learned. He went to Jerusalem and where they still herd sheep um, and, and one of the tactics, well, it was amazing, he said, because uh, the, the shepherds would get the sheep and they would come like to the edge of the road and it's, it's a highway, so cars are zipping around and the sheep stop immediately. They listen to the shepherd's voice like that. And, and, and the, the professor, he kind of asked him, he's just like, okay, because that's not natural for sheep and there's always a bad sheep, right? That saying doesn't just come from nowhere. And so he asked the shepherd, so what do you do with these sheep that don't listen? The shepherd says, well, usually that kind of manifests itself when there's still a lamb. And so what we do is we break its leg. And after its leg is broken, we mend it up, and we put it in a case, and we wrap it around ourselves, and we carry it everywhere. And so it gets so used to hearing the sound of our voice that it never strays from us again. 
I hope I don't need my leg broken. <laughs> but it's better than the alternative. Verse 5 and 6, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Look, you're worth working on. You're worth working on. I love what they said in the video there. You can't just, you can't just plateau. There's no plateau. Either you're getting closer to God or you're getting further away from God. It says, if you left, are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. The fact that we have struggle is an indication of our legitimacy as children of God. Now, I think an uncomfortable kind of thought that comes out of this for me is that, well, we don't really have a good reason to say, why is this happening to me? We know why God is doing these things or why God allows these things in our lives. But is it the chisel or control? Is it the chisel or control? Being a disciple of Jesus is not about, it's not about just, it's not about just coming to church and reading your Bible. It's about character. It's about who we are. It's about what's on the inside. It's about what comes out of us. And these things, they're habitual. Your sin, it's habitual. And, and there's practices and things that you do in your life that if you're not careful, they will lead you down a road that leads you away from Christ. And so then what are your habits? Because being a disciple of Jesus is about habit forming. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Because it's not just about knowing what Jesus commanded. Anyone can memorize all that. It's about knowing how to live it out. So what are your habits? What does your day look like? And what are the things that lead you closer to God and what are the things that are leading you away from God? Maybe it's not a thing. Maybe it's a who. The author goes on, he says, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he dis disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, God calls us to perfection, but he doesn't leave it to us to accomplish it. That he will accomplish it, and he is accomplishing it. The thing we need to do is to relinquish ourselves, to surrender ourselves to that process. Because God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself upon us. Every time God's in the skit chiseled, he asked, can I begin? Do you want this? Can I do that? Can I help you? If you want to be holy, you have to do it God's way. 
And the last verse is this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's a uh, famous saying that gets, uh, I don't know, I got told it a lot as a kid playing football, no pain, no gain. You know, if you don't put in, if you don't sacrifice, you're not going to get anything out of it. If you put nothing in, you get nothing out. But I love this verse because within it is this promise. It says, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There is a yield. There is a harvest. There is fruit that comes out of the process. And that fruit sustains us. And more than sustaining us, it actually has an impact on the people around us. And that as God works in us and changes us and shapes us and the people around us benefit from the bounty that is produced. But it takes time. And one of the hard things about, well, one of the hard things that I find for myself is that, you know, I, I really like instant results. I would love to have, you know, a diet that would just work. One day, a one-day diet, that would be fantastic. One day, like, musculature. Like, maybe just something like it, like, pump up or something. That'd be fantastic. But that's not how it works. And the thing is, like, in church, we kind of, we, I think maybe we like to talk about sin or talk about other people's sin because we don't really want to look at ours and deal with ours. But the interesting thing is, is that often as we deal with ours, other people's sin begins to be addressed and dealt with. And that God doesn't deal with sin uh, uh, because you point it out. He deals with sin through you and in you. And so then we need to begin with ourselves. And more than that, we need to begin with ourselves, but then to invite people into that process. What I'm suggesting is not that we fanfare about how awful we are. That's not it. Because you're the workmanship of God. Don't degrade what he has lifted up. But you got to be real with that process. you got to be authentic with it. Because if we're not, then if all we got is these white picket fences and, and everything looks really good and, and as everyone else looks into our life and says, man, they seem to really have it together, but we're dying? We're never going to help one another. We got to do this differently because like, we're in this race and we're in this race together. So I just want to leave you with this. So what? So what? So what you've been talking for the last half an hour, Pastor Ryan? So what? So Jesus is the truth, the life, and the way. And no one comes to the Father except through him. You have to lay it at the cross, and you have to put your focus on him. Turning away from our sins and turning to Jesus is a two-part process, and that needs to become a habit, a habitual part of our Christian life. It is the habit that we need to have. And we will not do that alone. This is God's desire to make you presentable. And the last thing is, we're not alone. You are not alone in your sin. You are not alone, and this is a lie. Divide and conquer is a tactic of the enemy when you are trying to uh, Steal from a herd, you, you, you get one away from the herd because there's power and strength in that community. And so if you can make one to be alone, it is vulnerable. 
We are not vulnerable because we have one another and we have Christ. But if we are not working on that together with one another, then we might be susceptible to fall. And that's not what God asked for us. And so I want to give you a challenge. I don't know if you're part of a small group. I don't know if you're part of a regular weekly community that you are speaking into and allowed to speak into your life. But if you're not, I have a hard time thinking how you could be getting closer to God. Because it doesn't just happen alone. Not by yourself. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. We're all in this together. So let's run the race as though to win. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your great love for us. It goes beyond reason or understanding, but I'm so thankful for it. I pray, Lord, that uh, if you spoke to anyone's heart today about the sin in their life that you want to deal with, God, that you would also lead them to someone that can encourage them and help them and walk with them. God, if nothing else, I pray that you would just speak to each one of our hearts and let us know just how much you love us. That we would be full with the understanding of your great love for us. And that we have received this in Jesus Christ. We pray these these things in your name, Jesus, and for your sake. Amen.